Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. It's so good to see you, and it's so good to see you seeing others. That's a big deal. That's a part of what we are as a community. We're not just a gathering on Sunday morning. We're supposed to be relationships, brothers and sisters, family in Christ, and so... Uh, it's good to see you. Hey, today, as you know, we, we mark the recognition of September 11th, 21 years ago. And as we do, you know, one of the things September 11th always brings to mind is though we have domestic violence that happens so often, we don't have that kind of warfare between nations in so many countries, so many places. That's, that's normal. We think of the Ukraine right now. As we think of the pain and the suffering that came to us, there are nations across the globe. There's people across the globe where safety and comfort and those basic securities are at risk. So as we recognize our first responders and as we pray for our nation, we should also pray and recognize how God, on the one hand, has kept us safe, but two, there's many people across the globe. When they send their children out, they don't know they're going to come back safe. When they go to work, they don't know what kind of conditions they're going to find. And so let's just kind of enter in that time of prayer to pray for our country and also to pray for the nations of the world and just for God to move and maybe to move through us. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that in times of trouble, Father, you are there in the valley of the shadow of death. You don't keep us from it. You don't take it away from us. You allow us to go through the trials. And in the midst of those trials, you want us to be dependent on you, to cry out, to reach out and say, Father, we need you. And so, Father, we just admit that. We need you. Father, we need you. We need you in our church. We need you in our families. We need you in our lives. We need you as day by day we go out to represent you, to follow you, to love you. And Father, we we need you. We need you across the globe. In the lives of men and women, the lives of those that go out and defend us, and the lives of those that are in in our own communities, our, our firefighters. We think of our teachers. We think of our police officers. Father, help us to care for them well as they care for us. And Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy over our lives, your comfort and your goodness. Help us to draw near to you. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yesterday was cold. (laughs) But were you up from 6 a.m. to 5 p.m. outside all day? I don't think you were. I want to show you this picture of what happened yesterday because I think it's worth celebrating. We entered our first chili cook-off and Moses joined us. If you didn't make it out to the chili cook-off, you're forgiven. It was cold, but it was a blast. And we can announce drum roll. Nope. Drum roll. Bergen Park Church won. Andrew Chodur won second place in the Judges Awards. So there we are. Way to go. That was a fun event. And so next year... If you missed out on making your chili, we're going to be doing a chili cook-off next summer, and then if it wins here, it goes on to Evergreen. So it was a fun event. Anyways, just worth celebrating. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, we're in Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going through the book of Nehemiah, kind of discovering what it means for us to move away from uh, selfish ambition into the vision of holy ambition. Selfish ambition kind of extends... It just kind of extends to, the, to my life, to what I'm, what I'm into. Holy ambition takes me to the place where I need to love God, depend upon God, and love others. And that's what we see in the story of Nehemiah. That Nehemiah has a burden from God because he loves God. 
And when you love God, God will call you at times to go out to care for others. And Nehemiah's in this place 800 miles away from trouble, 800 miles away from difficulty, and because he loves God, God puts this burden on his heart. And instead of reacting, instead of blaming, instead of shifting blame, Nehemiah sits in the pain of the brokenness of sin in the world, and he says, God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And he sits there for four months. When's the last time you sat in a burden for the world or a burden for others for four months and just simply said, God, what do you want me to do? And he lamented and he prayed and he fasted. And then after four months, what we're going to see in chapter two is Nehemiah's move to action. But in moving to action, Every time God calls you to something and then he moves you to action, he's gonna take you outside of your comfort zones and you're gonna start living a life you can't live on your own power and strength. It's gonna force you into a place of dependency upon him. Because see, when God calls you out, he's calling you to himself and in calling him to himself, he wants to send you out in his power and strength to live a life you can't accomplish on your own power, your own wisdom, your own might. And that's where we see Nehemiah. And the question for us is, where are we in that? Are we doing life on our own strength? Are we living the Christian life on our own power? Are we learning to be dependent upon God and really to take a risk of faith, to step out in the world, to accomplish something that on our own we could not do? And so let's jump into it. If you're ready, Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to pick it up in verse 1. If you've got one of those pew Bibles in front of you, it's around page 400 if you need that. Because it's hard for me to find too. I'm like, where is that book? Anyways, chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, the twelfth year of King Xerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, let the king be praised forever. Why should my face not be sad? When the city, the the place of my father's graves, lies in ruin, its gates have been destroyed by fire. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed. I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, and the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me. And when I had given him a time, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may let me pass through there until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber, to make beams for the walls of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat the Horite and Tobiah the Ammonite heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. I think there's two things that are true about every single one of us in here. 
The first thing that is true is that God has created us to live for something greater than ourselves. God has created us to live for something greater than ourselves. And if God has created us to live for something greater than ourselves, when he moves us to that place to step out in faith, to risk, to give up control, it's going to force us into a place of dependency upon him. To live out God's purpose for our lives, it requires that we live in a place of dependency upon him. And in that place of dependency, we're all going to face fear. Uh, There's not one person in the Bible that when God called them, they said, oh, this is gonna be fun. Right, Mary, remember that? This is gonna be, this is gonna be wonderful. I mean, she praised God and rejoiced, but what happened? She was afraid. Abraham, hey, I want you to leave your hometown, all your buddies, you're making a lot of money, and I wanna go to this land. Where? That's right, nowhere. And you're gonna force, you're gonna have to trust me. Every time God calls us, He's gonna take us to a place where we have to let go and we have to start trusting, which means we have to begin facing our fears. You know, it's not your fear that's gonna keep God from working in your life. It's your unwillingness to face your fears that keeps God from working in your life. We often think the opposite of faith is fear, it's not. Now, fear can keep us from faith, But see, it's not that when you're afraid, it's not that that's keeping God from moving. It's our unwillingness to name, to address, and then allow God to work through our fears that keeps him from working in our lives. And that's what we see in the story of Nehemiah. So let's jump back into the story in chapter two. And Nehemiah is now before the king. See, in chapter one, God put this burden on his heart. He starts praying, God, what do you want me to do about this? And see, in chapter two, realize four months have passed of praying and seeking God, and finally he's in the presence of the king. And I don't know if he meant to do this, but for four months he held it together. You ever been there? There's a burden on your heart. You're showing up at work. You're showing up at family events. You're holding it together. And then four months finally passed, and God hasn't moved yet, and you're in the presence of somebody important, and you just kind of break down. Now, when, it's, when you're with your family or you, when you're with friends, that may be okay, not with a king. It's dangerous to be selfish in the presence of a powerful man like a king. And that's what's happening. Watch this in verse one. In the fourth month, well, the month of Nisan, which is the fourth month from the time this happened, the 12th year of King Xerxes, that's king of Persia, when wine had been before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. See, Nehemiah is a Jewish man that's living in Persia, and he's in this place of position of power. About 70 years ago, his family was taken off into exile. They left Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem got destroyed, rocked to the ground, walls down, no temple. Promises of God seem empty. They were taken off into captivity. And see, Nehemiah has been growing up in captivity, and now he's in a position of power. And this burden is kind of coming through him, and now it's coming out of him. And the king's looking at him, And this is really unhealthy for Nehemiah when a king looks at you and says, Nehemiah, I'm focused on you. You're supposed to be focused on me. And he says in verse two, the king said to me, why is your face sad? You're not sick. I can tell that. This is a sadness that comes from the heart. And notice what he did. He was very much afraid. It's like, this is like a kid just kind of quivering. Because the king should be enough 
to keep you happy. See, if you're serving the king, it's all about the king. And this is someone that rose to power, not by getting it right, you know, by being a good person. This is someone that rose to power because he loves power. And in the presence of somebody like that, your job is to make him happy. Now, the thing that Nehemiah has been praying about, if you go back to chapter one, the thing he was most afraid of in chapter one was this man, the king. Because he knows the only way he can move out in faith in this vision that God's given, he has to go through the king. You can't go around the king. You're gonna have to go through the, through the king. You're gonna have to address the one thing you were the most afraid to address. That's where Nehemiah is. The king's looking at him, right? He's got this burden on his heart. The king sees it. He knows what's going on, and he is absolutely, he's absolutely terrified. Why is your face sad? And then he says in verse three, let the king live forever. Kind of build him up a little bit before he gets some bad news. Why shouldn't my face be sad? That's a place of honesty, vulnerability. In the presence of, why wouldn't my face be sad when this is the situation I'm looking at? When the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruin and the gates have been destroyed by fire. King, how else should I respond? Nehemiah was terrified, but because of his trust in God, he was willing to walk in a place of vulnerability, a kind of vulnerability that would cost him. Have you been in that kind of space where God has put something on your heart? Now, maybe it won't risk your life, because for Nehemiah, this is a, this is a, this, he's holding his own life in his hands. It could risk your reputation. That if I'm going to follow God in this moment, I'm going to have to give something up. It could be that people will ridicule you. They could mock you. It could mean that financially your life may change. But when you step out in faith and you start to depend upon God, all the things you used to depend upon, you got to kind of let go. Have you ever felt that? That fear, that anxiety at times? Because in trusting God, that means i got to let go of trust in myself and my own wisdom my own way of seeing the world, my own control over things, my own finances, I've got to start releasing those. And to release them, I've got to give them back to God and say, God, it's yours. I'm your servant. If you remember in chapter one, that's the number one thing that Nehemiah calls himself. He sees himself as a servant. God, if you're going to use me, I've got to let go of all the stuff that's keeping me from trusting you. And realize the stuff that's keeping you from trusting him, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. Things like resources and money and family and jobs and all of those things that we kind of keep around us and they're good and God's called us into them. But if I'm going to follow his voice, I may have to allow him to direct my timeline, direct my location, direct my future. That's a frightening place to be. That's where Nehemiah is. And he knows his life is at stake. You know, the great theologian John Wayne said this. He said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. We often think fear is the opposite of faith, and at times it can be. At times it can be. But what is going to keep us from experiencing what God has for us is not our fear, it's our failure to address our fears. And I think in a way, most of us, and, and I find this true to be of myself, the problem is that most of us cheat ourselves of living by faith because we will not address our fear. We are afraid to be afraid. 
Because see, if I'm afraid, that means I'm out of control. Does that speak true to anyone but me? If I admit I'm afraid, then that means I don't have what I need and I gotta be dependent on someone else. You know, kids are not afraid of being afraid. Have you noticed that? They are bold in their fear. You know, when we first moved to Colorado, we experienced those house-shaking winds, 80 miles per hour, 90 miles per hour, the whole house kinda, it's like a train is going right by. Now, if my kids at that time, I think they were about, I don't know, eight, 10, I can't remember what they were. I should be able to do math, subtract five anyways. If they ran into my room when the house was shaking, and they said, Dad, I'm afraid, and I looked at them and said, you idiot, it's just wind. What would you think of me as a father? Yeah, I'm not a great good dad. But you do that to yourself and you have no problem with it. See yourselves in the eyes of God and the eyes of your own humanity. Children are afraid, and what do they do? They go to someone who's strong. Hey, I'm limited. My life is shaking. I don't know what's going on. I'm out of control. I don't have the resources. And you don't say to them, just stuff it. Go watch Netflix. Get a gallon of ice cream. Go ride your bike. Now, what do you do? Come here, son. Come here. Maybe you get down on your knees. You look at little girl in the eyes, little boy in the eyes. Who am I? I'm your daddy. Yeah, that wind is scary, isn't it? But I got you. The reason we don't live by faith is because we don't press into our fear. Because, see, that's how the human heart works. Fear should draw you to the Father. But because we suppress our fear, because we deny our fear, because we medicate our fear, it doesn't draw us into the Father's presence. Because, see, you're going to see a pattern in Nehemiah. Nehemiah is going to go before the king, and when his fear comes in, he goes before the king of kings. He goes before... He goes before King Xerxes because he says, listen, this is what I need. But when he's in the presence of, King, of the King Xerxes, when that fear hits him, he runs to his father. And you see that pattern in Nehemiah's story. Watch this in verse 3. Again, he says to the king, may the king live forever. Now, why should not my face be sad? And he's just being honest here. Hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is what's going on. The house is shaking. The wind is going. The place of my father's graves, it lies in ruin. Gates are destroyed. And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And then notice. So I prayed to the God of heaven. His fear hits him and realized this was a breath prayer. He prays in chapter one and it's a long prayer. But see, this is a strong prayer. In the presence of his fear, in that moment where he said, am I gonna step out by faith? Father, I need you. Often what I pray in those moments, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. You see something bad on the news, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. Remind myself of my dependency. In this moment, he's drawn into the presence of the king, and I'm sure he's saying to God, God, I am terrified, I am afraid, I could lose my life. I'm about to ask some bold things of this man, and he could look at me and say, Nehemiah, it was fun having you alive. I, I think you're done. 
And so he turns to his father in fear. He admits his fear, which admits his dependency and admits his need. See, I think in the American church today, our problem isn't discipline. I'll be honest, a lot of you, you're really disciplined. To be successful, in a sense, you gotta be disciplined. We're not desperate. We have a desperation problem within the American church, not a discipline problem. We just don't recognize our need because when fear comes up, when inadequacies come up, we just kind of suppress them. Hey, I got money for that. I got wisdom for that. And we don't allow it as the human heart is designed to draw us to a place where we're dependent upon God and say, God, you got to take this. Now, Nehemiah is forced there because God has put this burden on his heart and he's being obedient. But where is that true in your own life? Where is God taking you to the end of yourself so that you can find that he is sufficient for your needs? And then are you bringing other people into it? Often we don't want to do that, right? I'll take it to God. You know, because I know God loves me. He's got to. That's his job. He's got to be graceful. But I don't want to admit that to someone else. Well, you know, when you don't admit it to someone else, you're still going to walk in that place of fear. Because you're still going to wonder, will other people care for me? Other people love me. If I hold it myself, you're not, you're not bringing it to the resources that God's given you because, see, he's given you each other. And one of the ways that God shows up is by the people sitting around you. And you know what they'll say? And this will be freedom for you right now. When someone looks at you, you share that deepest fear, and you know what they say to you? Me too. Me too. That's intimacy. I understand what you're going through. Hey, let's take it to God together. I, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm going to walk with you. Let's take it to God together. Nehemiah is taken to a place of weakness so he can find his strength. And look what he asks of the king. I, I don't know if I could be this bold. I mean, he really begins to ask. Watch this in verse 5. He said, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, I sure hope so, if your servants found favor, look, he's buttering them up. I mean, he's wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove here. He knows who's got the power. That you send me to Judah. So I'm going to leave to the, the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And here's what I need. And I don't know why the queen's mentioned, but it's kind of interesting. And he said to the king with the queen sitting beside him, I don't know if that makes it more terrifying. Which one was scarier? How long? He says, how long will you be gone? When will you return? Nehemiah, what, what are you asking for? So it pleased the king to send me. And when I'd given him the time, now realize the time, we're going to find out, is 12 years. Hey, king, you know how I'm a slave and all? Like 12 years off. Come back, get my job, my 401k. Will that still be here? Yeah, that's all, that's all I'm asking. And then watch, it goes on, verse 7. And if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river that I could pass through. I don't want to be killed on the way, so do you mind giving me some letters? And actually, he starts sending members of his own army with him that they may let me pass through. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the provinces beyond the river so I can get there safely. Verse 8, and a letter to Asaph, you know, the keeper of the king's forest. Notice that he may give me timber. Not to buy. King, I don't want to buy timber. I'm going to rebuild another city, another nation. You're going to give me the money. How's that sound? 
Safe passage. I just want all the timber. I want 12 years for the temple, for the walls of the city, for the house I got to occupy as I'm not working for you for 12 years. And this is crazy. And the king granted me my request. What I asked. Why? For the good hand of God was upon me. Did he know what the outcome was going to be? Does anyone who walks by faith know what the outcome is going to be? Now, this is a good story. This is one of those, you know, stage four cancer type stories, right? Wow. But see, if we don't risk by faith, we're not going to have the courage of faith. You know where courage comes from? It comes from stories that were just told today. It comes from stepping out in faith and stepping out in fear and saying, you know what? God showed up. Do you remember that? Do you remember how God showed up? Do you remember how he moved? And you kind of take that with you, right? It's like a stone. Sometimes we forget those stones. We forget those memories. And so when those challenges come up again, we don't have them to rely upon, but that's how faith gets built. The certainty of faith gets built that we see God time and time and time again start showing up. But you know what? He's not going to show up when you go to him and say, listen, I got all the money I need. I got all the wisdom I need. Can you just kind of manipulate things a little bit? I don't want to trust you. I don't want to walk out. I don't want to risk what I have. And God's going to say, well, that's not depending on me. That's telling me. God's not looking you to tell him what to do. He's looking for you to worship him. To rely on him. And the scary thing within our American context is we have so many resources that we can do the Christian life on our own strength. And we wonder why it doesn't work. But what would it look like for you in your own life to be in a place where you say, God, I want to surrender that to you. Where is he putting a burden on your heart? And maybe it's a burden on your heart and it's been there for a long time and you said no. And he just wants to bring that back. You could have been walking with Christ for a very long time and you thought, you know, it didn't work out. I I ran into opposition. I can't do this anymore. And you simply need to bring that back to the Lord and say, Father, what do you want to do with this? Because so often we're living the Christian life on our own strength instead of letting God take us to the end of ourselves to live a life we can't pull off on our own power. You know, that's where I want to live. Now, I'm scared to say that because God may grant it. God, take me to the end of myself and my resources. Are you sure? No, I'm not. But, you know, there is one who is greater than Nehemiah. He was also afraid. Like Nehemiah, he looked out, and it wasn't 800 miles. It was eternity between us and God. Jesus didn't need to go. Just like Nehemiah, he was happy. He was alongside the king, the power. But he was willing to step out, willing to risk, willing to go, to take the burdens that we have, our sin upon himself. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was afraid. Did he ignore his fear? No, he did what the human heart does. He took his fear into the presence of the Father. And listen, the answer was no. The answer was no. There's no way past the cross. Jesus, you're going to have to go through it. Now, in this case, 
the father said, you're gonna go through it and you're gonna go through it without me. Do you know why he did that? So that no matter what comes into our lives, we will always know the father is with us through it. Jesus was abandoned by the Father, so that in our suffering, in our difficulty, the Father is always with us. I will never leave you or forsake you because I did leave and forsake my own son. And your sin and your brokenness fell on him so that as you walk by faith, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will be there. And you won't realize what I can bring out of your faithfulness. Realize the magnitude of salvation that God has brought out of Jesus Christ and his faithfulness. What does God want to bring out of your faithfulness? And you wonder sometimes if the problems in the world don't get solved because we're not willing to walk by faith. We look out there and we just blame. I mean, you know, I, that's not where he goes. He's not going to shifting or blaming. He's like, God, use me and take me to the end of myself where I gotta trust you. And then he moves out into the world and God starts showing him what he needs to address. And it could be, it could be for us in this own community, God is calling us to be, could it be salt and light? A city on a hill? To surrender to ourselves, God, I got these resources, I got these means, I don't know what you want to do with it, but Father, show me the burden that you want me to walk by faith and carry. And then could you imagine what God could do with each one of us if we're doing that together? As a church, as a community, say, God, we are broken for the schools, we are broken for the families, we're broken for the drug addiction, we're broken for the immorality. God, we're just broken and we want to weep and cry before you and lament and fast and actually do this Christian life and trust that you're gonna show up? And then say, God, would you use us? Not to blame, not to shift, but to own the responsibility and God, would you work through us? What burden is God putting on your heart? And if you look at verse 10, Nehemiah's burden was for the welfare of the people of Israel. And in the next verse, he's gonna get mocked for that. And we're going to find that as he walks by faith, oppression and opposition is just going to increase. But see, God has called us to the welfare of this city. You know, when the people of God were in exile in Jeremiah, he said, listen, guys, the people who are oppressing you, the people who are accusing you, the people who hate you, you mean those people? Yeah. I want you to live for the welfare of the city. What? The welfare of the people who hate me? Yeah. Because see, that represents the gospel. While we're enemies with God, God loved us. And it wasn't that I got it right and he came to me because he saw that I could figure it out. No, I was blind. And you go out to a world that's blind, are we willing to rely upon God to the degree, say, God, help me to, help me to overcome this. I got hatred in my heart. I got anger in my heart. I got bitterness in my heart. Lord, you gotta do something in me so that I can go out and be a part of something that reveals who you are. And it could be, as we go out into the world, we all face that. And you know what you do? You turn back to your resources. That's why you're angry, bitter, judgmental, blaming. Listen, it's okay to feel that way. God's not afraid of that. But you're not taking it to him. You're taking it to the world. Right? I am. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm off social media. I needed to. Instead of taking it to God and saying, God, what do you, how do you want to use me? What burden is God putting on your heart? And then will you realize you're not the hero? And would that give you, because some of you are thinking right now, well, yeah, what burden do I have? Just follow him. Just trust him. Listen to his voice. And begin just by faith. Father, I'm putting my marriage before you. I'm putting my 
business before you, put my life before you, and just start trusting him and surrender it to him, and he'll start directing your path. He'll show you what's next. Hey, as we conclude this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. If you didn't have an opportunity to grab the elements when you came in, I want to give you that opportunity. Because if we celebrate communion, we come to the very heart of what God's done for us, that he has sent his son into the world. He's taken our brokenness, he's taken our shame, he's taken our limitations, and he's, he's carried those on the cross for us. So that no matter where we are today, maybe we failed, maybe we feel like, God, you can't use me anymore, you don't know my past, you don't know my story, that's, that's not from him. Because see, what God does is he loves to draw near to the humble, those that admit that they need him. And so this morning as we celebrate communion and hold those elements in our hands, let's, let's just invite God to remind us of those places where we're trying to rely on our, our own strength. Maybe, Father, would you forgive me of not recognizing the depths of my needs for you? And so let's spend some time in prayer and reflection before we share communion together. Father, how great is the love that you have lavished on us, that we, those who are afraid, those who are disobedient, those that hold on to the things that you've given us should be called the children of God. How great is the love that you've lavished on us. Father, in our fear and insecurities and our brokenness, by grace, as we hold these elements, would we experience you lavishing love upon love upon love to your afraid children who are running away from you while you're in our presence, in our midst, saying, come near, draw near, son, draw near, daughter. Walk with me. Let me show you what I can do. Father, you are enough. And we thank you, Father, that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and gave thanks, and he said, take and eat, for this is my body, which is broken for you. Receive it together in remembrance of him. And in the same way, after supper, he took a cup. He said, this cup, it represents the new covenant, the relationship 
with the Father that is established in my blood. Let us receive it together.